Welcome to the Economic Development Matters Podcast. I'm Brianna Morris, and together with my co-host Sherry Baslama, we talk about matters related to economic development and why it matters. Sherry and I work together at Edmonton Global, where we focus on attracting investment into the Edmonton region and helping our local companies expand internationally. On this podcast, we discuss how we can compete globally and build a sustainable and prosperous economy to enhance the lives of the people in our communities. Our guest today is Jerry Boma. Jerry is a well-respected consultant in the agriculture and food industry. His professional career includes 10 years with Deloitte, three years with Maple Leaf Foods, and 25 years with Toma and Boma Management Consultants. He's worked all over the world, from Germany to Jamaica to South Africa. One of his more recent projects was the development of the Regional Agriculture Master Plan for the Edmonton Metropolitan Region Board. In addition, he is the Honorary Consul for the Kingdom of the Netherlands in Edmonton. Jerry, thanks for being here. Nice to be with you. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, um, my parents uh, emigrated from the Netherlands um, in the 50s, uh, and they were sponsored, like many Dutch immigrants were, by uh, farmers. Uh, In this case, farmers located in western Ontario, uh, just near a city called Owen Sound. So that's where uh, my parents actually worked on uh, two different farms uh, and then started their own farm, uh, renting a place and then uh, buying a very nice farm just outside a village called Leith, uh, where they established a dairy farm. And I went to school, grade school in Leith and high school in Owen Sound. And I was one of these uh, sort of precocious uh, kids that wanted to play sports, but I uh, didn't have much of an opportunity with my parents being European, not having any appreciation for sports as far as Canada was concerned, baseball, hockey, which were totally foreign to the Netherlands. Um, I ended up uh, taking up running as a sport, and uh, that led me to uh, an athletic scholarship to the U.S. I spent four years uh, at Villanova University, where I did a degree in uh, mathematics, but uh, minored in economics. And then from there, I went back to Canada, Ontario, and I did a graduate degree in agriculture economics at University of Guelph. And while I was there, I met a couple uh, very enterprising young gentlemen by the name of Dick Broadwith and David Hughes, who had started the, the first uh, truly ag-based consulting firm in the country. And I became one of their very first employees, and that led me toward Deloitte because our firm uh, merged with Deloitte. And uh, that's led me to uh, my career in management consulting and agriculture, uh, my entire career. Wow. So you, so you mentioned you're from the Netherlands and you're also the honorary consul. So what does that mean exactly? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm born Canadian. Um, and uh, to understand the role of the consul, uh, understand how a country's presence in another country is established. The, the primary uh, contact point is the embassy and the ambassador. And then depending on the country's strategy and the business activities or the diaspora that's located in the country in question, in this case, uh, Netherlands presence in Canada, uh, they will establish uh, additional consulates. So there's two offices in addition to the embassy, one in Toronto, one in Vancouver. And then again, depending on the strategy and the desired presence, they will select uh, honorary consuls in cities where there's a decided presence of of Dutch people, uh, both current uh, let's say passport holders and or uh, past uh, say immigrants and so there are several cities there's a consul in uh, Edmonton which is myself one in Calgary uh, one in Saskatoon one in Winnipeg one in Montreal 
Quebec and one in the Maritimes. So there's about eight of us in total. And so what's my role? Um, first of all, it's an honorary position. It's not a staff or a paid position. Uh, secondly, uh, my uh, primary role is to be the liaison or the connection between the Dutch government, the crown, if you will, and Alberta, in this case, northern Alberta. Um, our role is not so much uh, with respect to passports and visas, although that was the case in the past, but is more to promote to business and uh, cultural activities. And so my focus actually, because of my agricultural background, is to really work on uh, developing relations and opportunities in the plant protein sector. So that's where a lot of my uh, energies go in terms of facilitating those opportunities. That's really interesting work. Um, what what kind of um, business relationships exist right now between the Netherlands and Alberta around plant protein? <clears throat> um, that's a good question. Uh, there's a lot of quiet investment, which you don't really know about. Uh, but uh, I think the biggest uh, relationship uh, is the fact that so many of the producers in, in, in various sectors, whether it's dairy, poultry, uh, beef feedlots, greenhouse, um, uh, and in, in um, let's say, the, um, the cropping sectors are of Dutch background. And so uh, because of, and typically they're second or third generation, uh, and because of the, in many cases, there's still a lot of connections between uh, those people here farming in Alberta, let's say, and uh, their families, uh, typically cousins and, and uh, uh, uncles and, and aunts and, and uh, uh, more distant relatives. There's still a lot of exchange of information and interplay between those families and uh, families here. And so a lot of the technology that's either adopted or tested or considered uh, takes place as a result of that. And so, for example, I've been involved uh, in a couple of major strategic initiatives over the years um, on behalf of Alberta. Uh, for example, in about 1996, 97, uh, we were um, commissioned uh, to, to to undertake a value-added strategy for the agri-food sector in Alberta. This is our consulting firm. So one of the first places I went to was actually the Netherlands because they've developed uh, such proficient agri-food industry and they've struggled with some of the issues that we were, we continue to struggle with uh, and uh, observed some of their institutional responses, some of their strategies um, and some of their initiatives to see what is it that we could learn uh, and apply here in Alberta. Uh, out of that came uh, one of our recommendations was to form a entity to lead value-added creation, and that um, became AVAC, the Alberta Value-Added Corporation, which really invested in, in early-stage startups and facilitating uh, value-added opportunities. So that that's AVAC's now in its about 23rd year, I believe. It's gone through some changes, but uh, it's still very much at the forefront of uh, advancing ag tech in Alberta. Uh, another uh, area that I was involved with quite extensively uh, were some of the concerns with runoff um, environmental issues as it pertains to farm production, particularly nitrates and phosphates. And again, if you want to really observe a jurisdiction that uh, operates in a very high populated but a high intense environment, uh, go to the Netherlands. And so again, I went to observe <clears throat> what they're doing, how they're doing it, and brought back a number of recommendations that I thought could apply to some of the pressure points we have here in Alberta. But more recently, some of the areas that are, are, are really drawing a lot of attention are potential um, transfer of technologies, uh, as well as individuals from the greenhouse sector, 
Uh, we have a lot of opportunity to expand our, our greenhouse um, capabilities here in Western Canada. Um, also, in um, there's also because there's so much pressure on agriculture in um, the, the Netherlands right now to, in fact, reduce uh, the amount of production because of the, the effects uh, it's having on the environment. There's a real pressure on farmers to either reduce or to exit. So um, Holland becomes a rich ground to attract um, new entrants. And so that is at play as we speak, attracting uh, that kind of expertise and, and um, experience and uh, highly capable people to actually pick up uh, and move to Alberta. Yeah, interesting. So um, does the climate and physical environment in Alberta and the Edmonton region lend itself well to agriculture? Or is it is it um, more of a you know historical industry that we've done well at? Or, or do we have advantages? Um. If you, if you look at the big picture and look at North America and you look at the central um, plains region, which was uh, at one time a major inland sea uh, and hence why we find <clears throat> dinosaur bones and massive amounts of uh, gas and oil and coal, uh, it's probably one of the richest agricultural areas and you, you can start from the Gulf of Mexico and go right up to Yellowknife. Uh, and it's one of the richest agricultural areas you'll find anywhere in the world. Uh, the Western prairies, which uh, where <clears throat> Alberta is located, uh, the northern part of it is located on what's called the black soil zones. It's, it's some of the richest soils found anywhere. Uh, the climate here is, is um, temperate. It's cold enough in the winter to kill off a lot of bugs and stuff you don't want. But it's warm enough and the days are long enough that we can produce a vast array of crops without without the sweltering heat that you find in southern Ontario or once you get into the Midwest and start moving south toward the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so given the other feature of, of the prairies, in particular Alberta, is that we have large expanses of land with, with relatively low population. So the uh, in rural urban conflicts that you would experience, again, like in places like southern Ontario or the eastern U.S. or Europe, Western Europe in particular, uh, we don't have those issues here. Uh, we've got we've got uh, farmers in particularly the Edmonton area, and there's four counties around Edmonton. Um, if I go clockwise, starting at Sturgeon County, and then Parkland County, and then Leduc County and Strathcona County, uh, within the province of Alberta, uh, it has some of the best soils you'll find anywhere. Uh, the average um, output per acre is probably 50% higher than the average for the province. Uh, it's close to major markets, i.e. Edmonton, uh, which is endowed with lots of transportation uh, and logistics. Uh, there are farmers <clears throat> in the area that have never experienced a crop failure. I mean, that gives you some idea of the predictability and the consistency. And there are seed potato growers that actually, uh, who actually produce north of Edmonton who have told me that uh, they have customers worldwide and their top choice of location to locate potatoes is from Alberta. Yes, that gives you an example of, of the advantage, some of the advantages, uh, inherent competitive advantages we have here in this province. Wow. So it's really, um, we produce a lot of, of, of agricultural products. Why do you think we've been challenged in the value added space? Because there's not as much happening there. Right. You mentioned Netherlands earlier. Like I've heard they're kind of the gold standard when it comes to kind of getting that value added benefit from their from their um, 
Well, I, there's a couple of major reasons. Um, one, um, uh, our focus has been primarily on production and I would say commodity production, uh, producing large volumes of, of grains, oil seeds, uh, cattle, pigs, uh, etc., uh, and shipping them out of the region because uh, we have really a small population relative to our capability to produce. So our whole mindset from the very get-go, if you think about how this area was settled, uh, let's say starting 1880, so that's 140 years ago, and certainly the first 80 years of the last 120 years, it was strictly to supply raw materials to where the, the commodities were needed. That would be Eastern Canada, that would be U.S., that would be uh, either exported from the Pacific or through the Great Lakes. So the whole, and their policies, uh, our policies, if you look at how our, our region was settled, there were specific transportation policies which favored uh, very uh, cheap movement of products out of the region. And so um, you had uh, this, that natural move of raw materials to populated areas where typically processing was located. So that's a huge cultural uh, dimension. I also say that um, Alberta, generally speaking, uh, is the beneficiary of, but uh, also suffers what I call a tilt-the-table strategy. You know, th consider uh, the prairies like a big table, and all we have to do is tilt it, and everything flows into the U.S., a huge market. Uh, so we've been able to become, I would say, relatively well-to-do, if not wealthy, by not having to do very much with what we produce and the other factor is is that because we're uh, removed from the market in terms of the fact that the vast majority of, of consumers in this country and north america live at great distance from us and just to give you some perspective i grew up in southern ontario spent uh, 15 years of my career in guelph uh, within eight to ten hours drive of guelph uh, you have access to over 100 million people. If you go eight to 10 hours outside of Edmonton, you'd be lucky to uh, cover a ground that uh, is home to more than 5 million people. So that gives you some idea of the intensity of the population centers that uh, places like Ontario. Now, the Netherlands, for example, is a little postage stamp within the European market of 500 million people. So when you've got uh, markets on all sides and you've got very clear signals in terms of what people want and you have the capability of producing that and then tailoring that, uh, you're going to respond. But when you're in a place like Alberta where our market's sort of over there somewhere, if you just load it and ship it out and someone else will look after it, um, you don't have the same sort of dynamic. Uh, and so we've been slow uh, to, in fact, um, develop what I call uh, marketing savvy to uh, build the kind of value-added products that's going to serve those markets because lack of access, to, well, lack of knowledge of the markets and distance to markets. The other thing that I think is really an important consideration here is that uh, our uh, industry here, our, our economy here in Western Canada, particularly Alberta, has been really driven by the oil and gas sector. Now, do oil and gas brand? No. They, they, they explore, they finance, and they extract. And then stuff gets moved out by pipeline or trains 
or vast vessels. Uh, there's no such thing as branding. Uh, so the, the marketing knowledge and skills that you would expect to absorb from another sector fundamentally aren't there. Whereas you look at, at Toronto, you look at Vancouver, you look at New York, you look at LA, you got all kinds of consumer product marketing companies that are constantly evolving and spinning out talent. That talent, which is a lot of its marketing, communications, uh, product development, branding, communi uh, communications, which I mentioned, they're looking for new opportunities. So they are naturally more likely to build consumer products and value-added products than uh, our economy is, which is very focused on extraction, exploration, finance, and logistics. So uh, it's a different culture. That's very insightful. So how do we go about or not, um, changing the culture? to think more value-added and, and branding and bragging about what we got here? <laughs> well, it's, it's like uh, many things. It's sort of um, one, one step at a time. And um, uh, there's a couple uh, great uh, uh, adages that uh, can provide wisdom, such as the Chinese saying, uh, a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step or you can eat, only can eat an element one mouthful at a time. Uh, the, the key is to understand and to develop in response to very clear market opportunities and building strategies from that. And there, there are good examples of that. Uh, one of the best examples um, that I happen to work quite closely with is the Little Potato Company. Started here in Edmonton. It was in response to a sense that there is an opportunity to actually uh, find a market for small potatoes. Uh, before, they were considered culls. Uh, they were sifted out of the table potato market or the French fried potato market and, and sold off to livestock producers to feed the animals. Um, Jake Vanderschaff and his daughter, uh, particularly Jake coming to the Netherlands, said, there's a market for these potatoes. Uh, and all we have to do, well, all we have to do is do a lot of things, but is demonstrate that and grow from there. And so uh, Angela, who you may have met, started by growing some little potatoes. And they were little because they were harvested early and before they could mature. And uh, she started selling them at the uh, Strathcona's Farmer's Market. And that was 1996. Well, here we are uh, 26, 27 years later. And that company now uh, will uh, is approaching 300 million in sales annually. Three major plants, one in Edmonton, a new one's being opened uh, in Nisku here in the next uh, few months, a plant just outside of Madison, Wisconsin, and then a major plant in PEI. But it took uh, some years to, to gain some momentum, but to demonstrate and to really focus on value, branding, uh, retail support, uh, and building that sort of one step at a time, one region at a time, one major retailer at a time, and saying it can be done. And if you look at some of the other examples of unique competitive advantage, uh, which are inherent, and that's really important, you've got to find opportunities that are specific to the region that are very hard to duplicate. So the best examples would be like um, uh, Heritage Foods and um, Chimo pierogies. Now, who makes pierogies better than someone from Ukrainian background? Well, here we are. Uh, Joe Makowiecki and his family have developed uh, probably one of the best uh, and extensive uh, uh, products in terms of progress across North America. 
Um, another example is Elias. Um, here's an individual who came from Toronto who, uh, 25 years ago, wrote all the provinces and said, I'm interested in starting a food processing company because I think there's a market for uh, Indian cuisine. Well, no one even responded to him except for Alberta. I said, yeah, come here. We can help support you. It's a great so story. In the late 90s. And, uh, uh, and now they are a major supplier of Indian cuisine produced here out of Edmonton. So there's examples of finding very unique market opportunities and then building it uh, in response to the market, not just producing and hoping someone buys it. It's a whole different mentality. And it's, and it's hard work. Yeah. It's hard work, but the, the fact is it's possible. And so what I think, and one of the things that we, we will probably talk about a little bit is just, okay, what are the unique attributes of the Edmonton area? And one truly is the plant protein area for several reasons. One, the region, because of its rich soils and its agronomic history, is quite capable of producing a, a wide array of uh, plant proteins. The pulses, they're often referred to lentils, peas, chickpeas, fava beans, uh, etc., uh, secondly, we have, uh, and as you know, the, the sector is emerging. Uh, there's a lot of R&D that needs to be done to improve taste, texture, to make it more compatible or competitive with meat products. <clears throat> we do have that R&D capacity and capability in this region. We've got the U of A, we've got Nate, we've got uh, Albert Innovates, we've got uh, the, 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 the Le Duc Food Processing Development Center. So we've got considerable capacity, and if you ask me, which you may or may not, depending uh, whatever some of the limiting factors here, well, number one, I think, is really committing to actually uh, building an industry. We've sort of uh, treated agriculture by default. It sort of happens. Uh, people came here, the grew stuff, did pretty good, but the real focus was on oil and gas, uh, health, IT, uh, movie making, uh, entertainment, and uh, I would say the food and agriculture industry is kind of ignored. Uh, can it, but yeah, can my argument would be when you commit and say, okay, we're going to become a world center for plant protein production, or let me ex even expand that to alternative proteins, because there's a whole category of proteins that can be derived from fermentation processes and or fungi and or other bacterial extracts that uh, are really rich for the taking and rich for the making. And we've got the pieces here, but I would say there's no real grand strategy to say we are going to be uh, a meaningful place where this can happen. That makes me think that maybe there's just not even an awareness of what a big impact agriculture could have on our economy. Could you give us a bit of the global context of what's happening and why, you know, food production is a major opportunity? Well, the most fundamental is that everyone has to eat. Um, and, and number two, um, there's only, um, I think we had this conversation, uh, or you sent me a question uh, about uh, food exporters. There's a number of, you know, a lot of countries actually export food, but if you look at a little bit more deeply and say, okay, who actually is in a position to be a net food exporter? In other words, they export more than the import. The United States is a big exporter, but it also imports an awful lot. There's only four or five countries in the world that are net food exporters, and Canada is one of them. Canada, Argentina, Australia, uh, I think France is on that list, and Ukraine used to be on that list, but they're obviously not going to be in the game uh, for quite some time. Uh, Kazakhstan is on that list. Uh, lots of political problems there. 
So uh, we're one of very few countries that are in that position. Most countries are under a lot of pressure because their land base is diminishing. Uh, climate change is impacting productivity you know, with uh, drastic events, flooding, drought uh, in particular, heat. Um, and here we are um, in, a, in a, as I said earlier, a fairly temperate region, uh, not impacted by certainly heat the same way you would if you were further south. Um, we have um, uh, the, the natural conditions in terms of the soils and the temperatures and the rainfall. Uh, and we've got a very established uh, agronomic, let's say, knowledge base uh, that we can build from. So um, given that the demand now, I know there was a lot of uh, most, most trends you ha always have to look at and say, okay, what's really going on? Because everything gets hyped. So four or five years ago, uh, cannabis was going to be the new savior in terms of economic development. Well, see, look what's happened. Um, it's fallen apart, quite frankly. Secondly, uh, the plant protein has been given a lot of hype. Was, you know, if you look at some of the projections, uh, it uh, was going to basically go through the roof. Well, uh, some of the major players are are having difficulties and possible foods is probably the best example. Uh, they haven't taken over the world. Uh, people have not uh, bought uh, and adopted plant protein products to the extent that was predicted two or three years ago. Many corporations have pulled back their investments. Maple Leaf Foods would be a good example of that. But I think once things settle down, uh, there's a decided shift taking place in consumer demand. People are looking for more sustainable production practices. They're looking more for foods that don't have the same impact on greenhouse gas production. And they're looking for healthy alternatives. And, and through all that, the plant protein sector will continue to grow. Maybe not as quickly uh, as uh, once predicted, but it's going to depend on who does the best job in terms of research and development to develop products that have taste and texture um, com uh, components that appeal to people. Because uh, you're, you're only going to eat something for so long based on ideological grounds. You're going to eat it if it tastes good and it feels good and, and you want more. If you've got to hold your nose and eat something, that's not going to last very long, no matter how motivated you are. Um, and I think uh, that will all unfold, uh, and we have the potential to be a significant player there. Uh, and um, uh, if you look at overall demand worldwide and relative to our competitive position, which is going to be very difficult to, to displace given uh, our climate, given our soils, our, our infrastructure, our, capable, our capability to ship products that are high value, uh, and therefore, the, the cost imp impacts are not as great per unit. Um, we can have a very uh, positive future here. And so if we can shift, for example, there's a ratio of, uh, if you look at a couple of indicators, how much in terms of food and uh, beverage production exists relative to the agricultural production base. And that ratio in Alberta has typically been two to one. So for every dollar that's generated on the farm, there's about $2 generated from the food processing sector. Well, some of the more competitive regions or the more active regions, those ratios are a lot higher. So if you were to up that uh, three to one or four to one, it translates into tens of thousands of jobs and literally millions and billions of dollars of economic activity. 
So, for example, if we're at about 15 billion of production, uh, well, actually, our ratio is, I should be correct, is one to one. We're 15, let's say 15 or 16 or 17 billion of egg production, about the same in food and beverage process. And if you if you increase that two to one, so we get 34 or 35 or 40 million of food and beverage production, that's a lot of jobs, a lot of economic development. If you get it up to 50 or 60 million, uh, a billion, uh, and the ratio of four to one, then you're really talking uh, potential. And that, that's quite possible, but it does take that commitment to actually find value-added opportunities uh, that speak to very specific uh, market and consumer demands, sticking with it, and having the wherewithal, wherewithal the management capability and the resolve to actually make those businesses work and be successful. Wow. It, it, and like you said, the world needs to eat. So, you know, listening to you today really just makes me think Canada actually has a moral obligation to, to you know, focus on this sector and and do better so we can feed the world. Because to your point with, with climate change and such, if we're really so well positioned in Canada um, and we have, you know, the land and the, and the population, the climate, the soil, we really should be going, pursuing this hard. Um, it's not just a great economic opportunity for our own country, but it, then we're feeding the world as well. Right. And I would make it as simple uh, as it's not even moral. It's just being good at what you can be good at. If we were simply as good at what we're capable of being good at, we would fulfill exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to mention to listeners, Jerry? Well, I could wax wise and long on many subjects, uh, but uh, I think the real point I want to make is that uh, we have some very clear uh, competitive advantages. Uh, we have opportunities, in my view, staring us in the face. Uh, we have sort of considered agriculture something that looked after itself or something we don't need to worry about, or it's sort of a, uh, an industry that operates by itself by default, and it's never been given the strategic importance and support that I think it deserves uh, in terms of our leadership, uh, in terms of the political will, and really sending those signals to industry and, and, and you know, bright up and commerce to say, hey, there's an opportunity here. How can, we, how can we help define it? How can we help develop those opportunities? Because the other thing that's really important is this sort of assumption that business is easy. Business is not easy at all. Business is extraordinarily difficult. And, and, and establishing companies from 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 startup to becoming commercializable or financially uh, sustainable is an extraordinarily difficult uh, process. And it takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of uh, collective uh, managerial skills. And but there's a lot of people, I think, in government and academia that are very naive about that and just assume, well, business, well, how difficult can it be? I can tell you it's more difficult than most R&D or academic pursuits. Um, it's extraordinarily difficult, and we have to recognize that and, and provide the kind of support uh, as well as the knowledge that um, things don't happen by themselves. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Jerry, we really enjoyed the conversation. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. How can listeners get a hold of you? <laughs> well, uh, pretty easy. I have a phone number and an email, and uh, you can make that available. Perfect. Sounds great. You have that contact information, so just pass it on. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Economic Development Matters podcast brought to you by Edmonton Global. For more information about Edmonton Global or to get in touch, visit our website, edmontonglobal.ca. 
Follow us on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, so you'll be among the first to know when a new episode drops. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned something new about why economic development matters.